We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And it's been a minute, guys, uh, since I was last on the pod. Lakers lost a game in Phoenix despite a face-melting performance by Anthony Davis. And then we had a weekend of games against the San Antonio Spurs, where Lakers won both of them. The first one, LeBron came back and had a clunky performance, had nine turns. Turnovers, and uh, there was a very notable Thomas Bryant DNP in that game that I think we'll get around to at some point in terms of the broader conversation about the Lakers. And then in a back-to-back situation, first time in, in I think since 1965 under those exact circumstances, they play San Antonio in a back-to-back. When that second game, AD does not play, and we certainly see how much the Lakers miss him. But over the course of all of those games, guys, there was a phrase and a word that kept popping up over and over. And I noticed it first earlier in the season, Anthony Davis was talking about this in a lot of his postgame pressers, talking about getting into a rhythm. And then LeBron was talking about it after these two games over the weekend. Dennis Schroeder is talking about it as well. And so we've won five out of six. God bless the San Antonio Spurs. We got what we needed out of that week. But Mike... In the game the other night, you were talking about this. You did a sideline hit about this as well. So I'd like to talk about the Lakers right now, kind of through that lens, that idea of getting a rhythm and what that means and what it means moving forward. Because, guys, we're a new team, and it's something that a new team needs to be able to establish. So, Dee, talk to me about that idea of this team getting into a rhythm. Well, one of the things that interests me just in the context of this conversation is this is the chance that last season's team never really got. And I'm not sure how good last year's team ever would have been. But one of the reasons why I'm not sure is because they actually never really got a 15 or 20 game stretch where most of their guys were relatively healthy. Like LeBron's missed a few games, and I think that that's been important. But AD's basically played every night. He's only missed a couple of games, and those games were spaced Mm -hmm. out well enough where we got a sense of him being able to build. So that rhythm that you're talking about, the place that I've noticed it, and and Mike 
I'd love to hear your thoughts about this specifically as well. But LeBron has talked about the Lakers shooting and the role players, I think, have been the the biggest beneficiaries of that rhythm of the sort of the stars being mostly available and what it's like to play off of those players. And after a horrid start from behind the arc in their first, you know, three or four or five games, they've stabilized to basically being a league average shooting team. And I'm seeing a rhythm in those guys no longer thinking about every single shot and understanding where their shots are going to come from and finding that flow of, all right, like, when I catch the ball, I'm either open or it's like move it right, right away. And all of that togetherness to me has stood out the most. And I think where it reflects most to me is in the shooting um, because their defensive effort still waxes and wanes a little bit. But the shooting to me has stood out the most. But maybe something else stands out to you more. I think I'll go with my traditional perspective on shooting here and say that I think it's a bit more a product of just the team settling down in general um, getting a couple of good players back intruder and bryant the biggest part of it is anthony davis just playing at a much higher level and the and what that does to a defense how much that attracts attention and then lebron finally getting going which you know his shooting of course we talked a lot about that we knew it was going to come back closer to the mean uh, he's not going to shoot seven for 12 every game but he's also not going to shoot 24 percent, which is what he was shooting in the first 11. so you get you get that kind of game in the second game from LeBron. You get Anthony Davis for the previous six games ahead of that playing at an all NBA level, um, all NBA first team level. In fact, he, you know, he may have been the best player in the league over the course of those couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And that's that to me, then the asks for what the role players are, um, are less. It's like hit the shots when they're open, get up and out of transition. And by the way, Russ has been then put into more of a role, even though once he gets the basketball and when he comes in, he's more aggressive, but he's still, as opposed to like the start of the season when he was starting next to LeBron and AD, that I thought took away some from LeBron and AD being able to really establish um, like the hierarchy of things. And so it's, yes, the shooting is, maybe it's maybe it's one of those like both things, but um, I just see it more as a product of those things. Plus, of course, the opponents that they've been playing. Um, have have been really poor for the last couple of weeks, and that's helped. Yeah, it's great to get a rhythm against uh, bad teams. That's part of the benefit of playing them. And I do think that it's a combination of individual guys, just like AD was saying, hey, my back doesn't hurt as much anymore as it did at the beginning of the season. And I think that there was a great deal of like, hey, we're not trying to hear it with Anthony Davis, like uh, you're you're hurt all the time. I don't want it. But the way that he plays when he's at his best, that like best player in the league over the last couple of weeks type of stretch, of course, having a bad back would would not be helpful with that. And so there's that LeBron getting a pair of back-to-back games. I thought his answer to Kyle Goon's question on Friday night about, Hey, are you going to play in the second night of the back-to-back? And it was totally a reasonable question, right? Like there's reason to manage, uh, LeBron's minutes, but LeBron looked at him like he was crazy. He was like, I just missed two weeks. I need to get my rhythm back. And uh, he really didn't hit those seven threes the other night. And so it's individual players. Dennis Schroeder is going through this as well. After having a long time off, just played his fifth game of the season, which it was kind of my marker for him of like, when's the time he can start kind of hitting the ground. So it's all of that individually, but also collectively, I think you make a good point, D, about guys are starting to know where their shots are coming from. And this is a really pick and 
roll heavy offense. If you watch us play, we're running a ton of that. When LeBron is in, we do a little more high post, triple post type of stuff. Um, Obviously, with AD, you have some options there, too. But that the ball is starting to kind of ping around a little bit more. And again, that has to do with playing a bad team as well. But we're starting to realize where our shots are coming from. And so this is read and react basketball. And I think that the beginning of the season was read and think and react basketball. And you really don't want to think playing this type of style too much. You want to be able to read the situation and just react to it so quickly because you've seen it so many times before. But you got to get those game reps in D. And so that's something that I've noticed as well as the team is just starting to really understand where their shots are coming from yeah and how those shots get influenced by the other players that you're sharing the court with and that again only comes with more minutes and more reps those aren't things that you can um just sort of get on the court and feel out right like you 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 need the concrete um like, okay, well, this guy likes to do this. Like one of the, so we've been talking about Troy Brown a fair amount, like in our text threads. And, and Mike, you brought him up a few games ago around um, the idea of like, oh, well, maybe he'll play better when LeBron comes back because he started to fall off right when LeBron went out. And it just so happens that LeBron has been back and Troy Brown has looked a little bit better. But one of the reasons why is because of like, Brown gets his shots on the exact sorts of plays that LeBron generates most, which is like the skip pass over the top and like not necessarily always the swing swing where the against a good defense, they close out on that, right? Because they're just better at rotating. But the skip over the top, that's a real rhythm play. And it's just like, oh, catch, boom, I'm letting the shot go. And Brown is pretty good at that. The other sort of the other player who does a good job at setting that shot up is Dennis Schroeder. So Schroeder loves to drive baseline from yes. the right side of the court. He loves to rack baseline. He is not as much of a middle player, Pete. And when that's you right. and when you rack baseline, really, there's two things that's going to happen there. You're getting a shot up at the basket or you're Three things, sorry. You're getting a shot up at the basket. You're doing the little hockey dribble, the Steve Nash dribble, where you dribble all the way underneath the court and then you come out the other side and you've still got the ball. Or you hit that pass to the corner man who should be leveling off to the level of the ball and dropping down to create a passing angle for you. And Brown has gotten a couple of shots off of Dennis passes, like Dennis rack baseline. Brown is then dropping down to the level of the ball and there he is and that sort of synergy that only comes from playing with the guy for a game mm -hmm. or two where it's just like that's not something that's just like hey i know dennis likes to do this i like to do this other thing too that count that compliments that boom we're gonna hit the ground running it's like nah we need a little bit of time you need mm -hmm. to get the time timing down and so those are all little things that they start to connect a little bit more and i think the team is starting to see the benefits of well, well of that i also think from an individual stand stand standpoint mike is that guys like lonnie walker and austin reeves they're starting to get more on ball touches in ways where that also creates a rhythm and that also creates a flow and they also know like i've got the green light to play a certain way with the ball in my hands and so what are you seeing from those guys and the rhythm that they're catching from having just more on ball off opportunities that they got with LeBron out, but are seemingly carrying over even with, with LeBron back now. 
Yeah, that's part of the just the the natural thing that evolves when guys get to play together for more than a couple of games that most NBA teams have from season to season a bit more in terms of continuity mm-hmm. that this Lakers team just didn't have. And I think that it there has to be sort of an overall good feeling for the team, though, for some of those things to happen. And that was what we didn't see happen last year as much. Uh, and as the season went a little bit differently uh, last year, but like you can make, you can see the team coming together in some ways uh, because they just for the sheer fact that they took care of business here um, in these games against the teams that were struggling and they stack some wins. And now they can like, they're at a point now where it's still desperate in terms of getting wins, but it's not, it's not like completely well. If Pete, if these next one or two wins don't happen, <laughs> season's yep. like over, you know. And and that's now. This is we'll see what happens after this tough December stretch. But like I, I think that it's one thing about the role players that Darius mentioned. For me, it's more like if Anthony Davis plays at that level, and yeah. then the rest of the team doesn't have to do that much for the team to be really competitive. And that and that's like to me the big point as you go into all these gyms. Like we've seen AD compete against the best um, of any player. And when you have that going on, then the rest of the guys can start to meet some of that status quo. So I'm, I'm kind of throwing the key back to him without dismissing the role player part of it. Cause obviously those things work together. No. Yeah, no, it's totally something that like he allows them to play a more appropriate game to what, to what they do. It's also like to whatever level LeBron can get to Mike, once he gets to the best version of himself now as well, if that's happening at the same time Anthony Davis is doing that, all of a sudden you're in business, right? Like you're you're a pretty good team, I think, at, the, at that point. You brought up that um, that collecting wins against bad teams, Mike. I'm curious, what does that mean to you? Like that, that was something we started last season. In terms of the schedule, it was a little bit different. Our first week was tough. We played Golden State, Phoenix, and Memphis. We beat Memphis in the third game and – we didn't know Memphis was going to be good quite yet, but after that, we had a really easy stretch of games of which we blew we blew a bunch of games against bad teams that we should have beaten. What does it say to you, Mike, that we are collecting these wins? I'm not saying it's a huge accomplishment, but it's not something that we did last year. Well, if you just inverted the last seven, eight games and you put those for the first seven, eight games of the season, just think about how different everything would feel. I'm actually glad that we, because I think that the playing the tougher teams, Mike, kind of forced us to make some certain lineup decisions and rotation decisions that exposed our weaknesses that bad teams wouldn't have. I think, yeah, and I agree with that. And I think that big picture, it'll end up being better. But I just mean from a perception standpoint and from a, for sure, like, this is, this team is a disaster. Like they weren't, we knew that and we were worried about that when the season started and you looked at the schedule and said, okay, uh, you know, against the <laughs> at Warriors and then Clippers at home when the Clippers were actually healthy or at least healthy-ish. Um, with Kawhi mm-hmm. playing like that is a tough way to start if you would have started that with San Antonio San Antonio but what could have happened there is that they weren't ready to play San Antonio beat Minnesota like two times in the first week right because they mm-hmm. caught them in the other side of that swing and now Minnesota has come back to being a game away from the Lakers in the loss column um, as like as they've their schedule has started to tighten and they still haven't really figured their stuff out yet so it, it ends up serving that way as long as you take care of business and they have, and, and that is, is for sure. It's not only important now, it's going to be important in March and it's going to be important in April. Um, when, you know, when you've already checked off those types of teams and in San Antonio, by then who knows like who they're playing, who's on their roster and, and what, what things are like, like you wanted to play, you wanted to play the San Antonio team that the Lakers just saw these last three or four. Like that's, that's the group that you wanted to play. Mm -hmm. Can I just go on a bit of a side rant here related to this topic? 
Please. There have been a few people, and it's not a lot of people, so I don't want to like amplify, you know, voices that don't deserve the amplification. But I know that this is a sentiment that exists over the course of an entire season, regardless. So I'm just going to say it now. Please stop being the person that diminishes the Lakers' wins when they come against bad teams. Like, <laughs> stop being that person. Who are we supposed like, to beat that night? Yeah. You, no, well, I'm just saying that it's just like, like oh, well. Like, we're just going to be excited that they beat the Spurs. I'm not going to jump out of my shoes and be like, oh, yeah, like, look how great this this team is. But I'm going to be happy that they beat the team that they're supposed to beat. Because if they don't beat that team, what are you saying then? Then this same exact person that is going to be like, that's not impressive. You shouldn't even be happy. You're going to be like, the world is over. This team is terrible. Like, they don't even deserve my time, right? And so you can't have it both ways. Like, please do not be the person that is just the jerk. Don't be the thief of joy, basically. Do not try to empty my bucket here. Like, no yucking like, yums, yes. Yeah, it's just like, it's, it's just one of those frustrating things to me that I've seen over the years as a Laker fan. And I'm sure this happens in every fan base, but I'm a Lakers fan. And so, Pete, I know you've seen this. So often, right? Where it's just like, oh, well, the Lakers beat this team. Like, who cares? It's just like, well, I care. Like, I'm glad they had that win. I'm like, yeah. I'm glad they played well. And I'm glad that they were winning these games by double digits. And then some of them, like, it looks like they weren't even close. I thought LeBron made a good point to you, Mike, after the game where he was just like, this is a game where we might have lost earlier in mm -hmm. the season because we wouldn't have had enough togetherness or whatever approach that he saw in his own mind that would have changed things around. And so the players believe that these are forward progress sort of games. And I'm with them and I'm glad, Pete, to sort of bring it all and tie it all back that this rhythm that they're establishing is able to sort of get them over the hump in some of the, these games, particularly in crucial moments where they need to, to stem the tide against the run or extend their run and go up from eight to 18 and then bury a team, right? Yeah, that was something that stood out to me in that second San Antonio game in particular, where we got killed in transition. Like that was obviously San Antonio's game plan was just like, run your ass off in transition every time and you'll get some buckets. And they certainly did. Right. But we still went up by like 18 and then we left our, left, uh, let our foot off the gas in the third quarter um, and they, they cut it down. And in those games last year, they had a similar rhythm where it was like, we went up on a bad team. An OKC game stands out to me. I think we were up like 41 to 19 at one point and we ended up losing on a mellow jumper that ended up falling like three feet short. And last year's team, when that happened, they were never able to get the rhythm back. And that was something that stood out to me in that game that I think LeBron was alluding to a little bit as well, where it's like, hey, we were able to get it back and we were able to find that rhythm again after letting our foot off the gas, which is how you stack wins in this league. And as for celebrating wins against teams that are not very good, one thing that I've noticed over the, I'd noticed over the last couple of years was that people would be like, oh, why are the Lakers dropping confetti after beating this whatever team, right? And playing I Love LA at the end. And it's like, look, we've got 11 championships since 1980, and we still celebrate every single one of those at home, right? Whenever that happens, you're going to have that at home games. And it's important to celebrate the little accumulative victories that you have. It's part of the process. And so 
Let's take a break. When we come back, we have uh, some more formidable opponents ahead, including tonight against the Indiana Pacers. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So an interesting game tonight, guys, replete with uh, storylines. This is something that over the last few games and over not having to pod over the last week or so, I have much stronger opinions on what I'd like to see us pursue in the trade market. And we'll do a pod on that very soon. But we have a game tonight against a rumored trade partner in the Indiana Pacers. And so lots of storylines in this one tonight, Mike. They just uh, lost to the Clippers on Sunday in a Sunday matinee game where Ivica Zubac had 31 points and 29 rebounds. Um, And so they're in LA coming off that second night of the back-to-back, but they've been a better team than people expected, Mike. What do you see from the Indiana Pacers? Well, first, as we were discussing the schedule and how it's been favorable to the Lakers, they've also had whoever they've played has played the Clippers on the previous night. I think this is like the fourth straight time. (laughs) Yes, that's true. true... True, ridiculous gift from the schedule gods to put all these teams not only on the back to back, but have them, you know, play against a Clippers team that isn't isn't great right now, but at least is, you know, can be tricky to play like with Ty Lu and their depth and all that. And you don't know who's playing against them on a given night. You know, George has been out, not Kawhi's out, et cetera. So here mm-hmm. this comes again. And I watched that game. The Pacers played hard, worked hard. That's been the theme to start their season. It's a bunch of young guys. Um, plus, you know, I, I guess we can, we could certainly call Turner and healed vets, but it's it's, you know, it's Jalen Smith and it's Tyrese Halliburton and um, Jackson off the bench and Benedict Matherin, who just who mm-hmm. just, you know, Darius and I joked about him. Right. He he's the one who said that LeBron needs to prove prove to him that he's great. Right. That was <laughs> his, right. his whole offseason thing. And <laughs> and if I were if I were somebody that followed the Pacers, I'd be like, yeah, I like that. You know, I like this. I like that Hell yeah. moxie. Um, yeah. So there. Uh, but the thing that deterred them as you just alluded to Pete was Avita Zubats. And it gets me back to thinking about the importance of Anthony Davis 
for a Lakers team that gave up 140 points damn near um, to San Antonio. Right. And, and look, a lot of that came kind of in, in moments where the Lakers were up by 15 and, you know, they just took their foot off the gas a little bit defensively, but it also came early. And, Oh yeah. So he, he, to me, Darius is, is the one that if he comes out with the mindset that he's been coming out with and he comes back and of course he had the calf, uh, he got kicked in the calf and that's why he missed the last one. So we don't know for sure that he's going to play, but I think the Lakers need him to uh, because it's going to be, I don't think that they're going to be able to play the way they played against San Antonio and just count on hitting 17 threes and not defending. Cause I think Indiana will then by the way, not look so tired and will find their legs on this back to back and will be more than happy to play in the atmosphere at crypto.com as opposed to uh, for a Laker game, as opposed to what it was for a Clipper game. So um, I I'm just trying to be consistent here and calling out the need for Anthony Davis here yet again. No, AD is super important, particularly against this team. Um, the Pacers offer a certain formula for winning their games. They're a high-volume mm-hmm. three-point shooting team, and they are a protect-the-rim defensively team. And, and so – And Darius, by the way, they took, 40, they took 42 threes uh, against the Clippers and only made nine of them for, for mm, 21%. Yes. And so this is a point I was going to make, Mike, is as well. And so the 42 threes is not abnormal for the Pacers. They take 40.5 threes a game. They take the third most threes per game in the entire league. And one of the but last night, some of their better shooters basically missed all their shots damn near, right? Like Miles Turner missed a bunch of threes, Buddy Heald missed a bunch of threes. And it's just sort of like, that's one of those things where I would actually have preferred that those guys maybe hit all their threes last night because a lot of times good shooters don't have back-to-back bad shooting games. And so this is where I think AD comes into play because the Lakers will need his defensive presence around the basket and his range defensively to maybe like make up for some things in rotation, particularly in pick and pop situations. But his paint presence, Pete, is going to allow like the guards to play a little bit tighter defensively and not have to look over their shoulder as much and not be worried as often about like closing down the paint and then having to make these long rotations to well to shooters. And then offensively, they need him to pressure the front of the rim because the Pacers, I think teams only shoot like 60 percent in the restricted area against them, which is pretty damn low. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, and I that's a big say part of what we do too, right? Like we've got a lot of guys where that's a central part of their game. Yeah. I think the Pacers rank first in, in um, shot percentage against right in the restrict restricted area and the Lakers, while they're not the top restricted area, um, like percentage team, they take like the most shots at the restricted area in the entire league. And so it really is this example of one of the things the Lakers do well is they defend the three well, like teams only shoot 34% from behind the arc against them. And so it's sort of like strength on strength defensively to, yeah. to a certain extent, but part of that strength relies on Anthony Davis. And so how do you see First of all, AD's importance is is a given, but if he does play, how do you see that importance translating specifically to this Pacers team, Pete? So 
my, the first place my mind goes is the boards, right? That 29 rebound performance from Zoo. If you can get them on the glass, right? That's something that just, even with a guy like Turner, he's that wonderful presence in the paint, but he's not a very good defensive rebounder. And that's something that now I think that Zoo offers a different challenge than AD does, but that's that was something that not having AD in the lineup against San Antonio. And again, yeah, we didn't have our foot on the gas. It's tough to beat a team three times within a week, yada, yada, yada. But Mike, the difference between Anthony Davis in the middle and Thomas Bryan in the middle was like, oh my God. And one of the main things, and this happened last year too, was It's a a full jailbreak to the rim on the offensive glass when Anthony Davis is not in the game. And from watching the tape on him this season, he's been wonderful on contested boards where it's like AD has to get a rebound against two guys and he comes up with it in traffic because he's freaking Anthony Davis. And so for all of the shot blocking and the scoring and the dominant role threat, his ability on the glass, really on both ends of the floor, is something that kind of can kind of break another team. And that when we don't have that, it is just a staggering difference. On that contested rebounding point, Pete, AD leads a league in contested rebounds a game at 7.6. And Ooh. his contested yep. rebound rate is close to 60%. And so he mm. is he is that guy that when it's crowded in there and guys are swarming and they're attacking. He is fending guys off with one arm and then going up and securing the ball. And it's so important to the Lakers defense, Mike. And it's one of the reasons why they are a top 10 defensive team. I was just texting you. So don't forget, send me that stack. So I might use that on the broadcast uh, tonight. That's pretty good. Uh, nice. I'm, I'm curious who else is on that list. Um, so yeah. So the AD thing and specifically against this Pacers team, and the rebounding and everything. That's that's one part of it. But then there's another part that I thought the Lakers slipped badly. And that could have been the whole playing the same team three times in four games and the back-to-back. But the transition defense or lack thereof and just the complete Woof. lack of running back uh, in the first half. I mean, that's you rarely dodge a bullet when you do that in a game. Like that's one of the first things coaches – a lot of times I'll come back to – to halftime talking to one of the coaches and just see if something stood out. And especially in my earlier days when I felt like I wasn't just taking as much in myself and was relying on it a little bit more transition defense would come up at least 75% (laughs) of the games, you know, because Mm. it's just one of those things where it drives coaches crazy. And Pete probably did for you in high school level. Mm -hmm. It's just something that you can control. And when you don't, you will get punished in the NBA period. And, and that's something like this kind of a game. Yes. Anthony Davis and contested rebounds, et cetera. But like, they also just have to get that urgency back um, and have, and having the whole team engage in that way. And that's something that I think I want to bring LeBron into because in, this is the whole year 20 thing. And it is hard to expect a 20 year vet who has to do as much as he's doing on offense to do that every single time. And it's not just excusing it from him, but it's saying like everyone else, they no. can't take that as a, Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess we're not, we're not all hustling back in tra- transition today. I'm giving LeBron some of those, but I'm not giving any of them to anyone else on the roster in terms of getting Amen. back. 
you're, you're speaking to my soul on that, on that transition defense point and that whole idea of like, let's control the things that we can control and just run back on defense is one of those things. But it's a curious dynamic, D, of LeBron is our leader. And I think that as LeBron's energy and engagement goes, just it's a natural thing to follow it. This is why I think the next stage of the Lakers season will be determined by the Lakers ability to pair a slowly growing rhythm with LeBron and we got some good reps with LeBron groups while still stacking a win this weekend, but also Anthony Davis really being the fuel of that. And Anthony Davis being the guy where like, he's one of the guys, Mike, where I don't give Anthony Davis that because he's not in year 20. Now AD has been getting 12 and a half boards a game. Great on both ends. Like he's been, he's been great in this respect. And that's part of the reason why we've won five out of 60 is AD can kind of set that tempo. And so as they get back and as they play more together going forward, knock on wood, I'm curious to see if AD can be the leader of this aspect of the game where LeBron can get a few possessions off where he's not hauling ass up and down the court for all 82 against your San Antonio's and and things like that. While you still have enough guys around him that are that are doing that where the whole thing doesn't fall apart and you're giving up 20 cheap points in transition. Yeah, I think a lot of this is is just tape work as well as understanding like what the strengths of the team are, right? And and so sometimes AD not being the first guy back is going to be natural because AD goes to the offensive glass a ton. And he's mm, also great point. like, and he has to run paint, like he has to run rim to rim, right? And so this is one of the things of AD playing more center that we often don't discuss as much is like he's in the paint so much more on offense, mm-hmm. right? And, and then when he does space, he spaces to the corner, and then in a pick and roll heavy offense, like these are the things that these are like the little sub subplots of the game that are super interesting to me. But if you run a pick and roll heavy offense, the big often goes from the paint to the perimeter to set a screen. And then he rolls and he rolls to the paint and then something doesn't open up and then he gets called back out to set another screen. And then he rolls to the paint again and then a jumper goes up and then he crashes the offensive glass. And then he's supposed to turn and sprint back in order to be one of the first, like (laughs) it's, it's a lot. Right. And then I think the same is true for the type of offense that the Lakers run in terms of how often they drive the ball. And so think of Dennis Schroeder, think of Russell Westbrook, think of LeBron James and LeBron in year 20. It's not just that it's year 20. It's that he's often frustrated by his the lack of a whistle that he does or does not get. And so Mm -hmm. it's like it's this combination. And this happens to AD, too. So he goes to to the basket, too. Sometimes these guys end up on the ground or like they get they get put into the wash a little bit and it's hard then to sprint back. And this is why it is a team wide and why I talk about it being something to look at on tape, because in the same way that you have principles, Pete, of like, hey, when this guy drives here, you mm-hmm. go there and like replace and kick. And this is where you should be standing. The guys who are up high, they can't get sucked into the free throw line area off of a drive Mm. and act like this is where I'm supposed to be like, no, bro, like you got back responsibility. You got to get back. And so I'm looking at guys like Patrick Beverly and right. He hasn't played in a couple games, but it's just like when he comes back, he's one of those like I like to offensive rebound guards. Russ is like this as well, Mm. where it's just like Mm -hmm. I like to crash. 
It's like, no, when you got back responsibility, you got back responsibility. It's time to get back. And so it's stuff like that, that they just need to get in that sort of rhythm too, because that's a, do we know each other's 10 tendencies sort, sort of thing to me too. I love that you brought this up and us being such a dribble penetration and paint heavy team. One of the things that I learned while when learning how to coach basketball was dribble penetration from the top of the key, especially leaves you vulnerable, Mike, to transition. And it makes sense. Like the guy with the ball is going like a bat out of hell toward the basket. Now he finishes the play underneath the basket. There's not, especially if you have a one guard front, that's one of the strengths of a two guard front. The way that we have now in the two slots is that if one of them drives, there's theoretically another one that should be able to get back. But this is one of the weaknesses when you are sending so much force toward the basket, which we do want to do that makes sense that teams are going to want to try to run on us because if they get that defensive board, you just have more bodies under the basket. And so we will be an attackable team in that way. And especially if it's AD rolling to the basket. So I love that you brought that point up, D. Just one other point to interject here. Uh, So looking at Lonnie Walker's November, only one time he wasn't in double figures. Uh, He had that quiet game Mm. against Cleveland, only played 19 games in his low aside from that was 14. Um, the first time they played the Spurs, every other game he had at least 17. And his three-point shootings, 46%. So just getting kind of a reliable yeah. a reliable spot there. And then Austin being reliable. And now if Schroeder continues, like he finally caught his rhythm a little bit in terms of shooting mm-hmm. in that game. So that's that's the other part of this where that didn't happen last year, where you had some of the role players start to bring some uh, level of consistency, which I know is another thing Darius touched on um, in his preview. So I'm I'm just looking at the importance of that and and just solidifying the group a little bit more. Yeah, I just think that overall, Pete, that the way that the Lakers are currently constructed, they clearly have a ceiling, and that ceiling is going to be raised or lowered based off of where LeBron and ADs play is at but the ceiling is still capped even if they're at their absolute best just based off the construction of the roster that said what raises their floor i think as well is some of the consistency from the role player stuff and so Mm -hmm. if lonnie can be a consistent like 15 to 17 point guy which he has been and his three ball can fall and austin continues to stay aggressive and then and then you get dennis and it's just like oh okay like we're starting to see some things here. And then Russ is going to be Russ. Like, I think that we, I don't want to fall victim of like when he plays, like we only highlight the, like the bad stuff because he's been super helpful in, in a lot of ways, even though the turnovers and stuff can still be like, Oh, like, what was that? Like, why'd you do that Russ? But the shot creation stuff has, has mattered too. And so he's helped in, in his way as well. And so the Lakers are slowly, but surely getting pretty good nightly con- contributions from three to four guys that aren't named LeBron and Anthony Davis. And mm-hmm. that's what needs to continue too. And I'm hoping against the Pacers that it does, because that's going to give them a good chance against a pretty balanced Pacers team as well. We have way better basketball players with our mini MLE and our vet minutes this year, right? Like Troy Brown is not going to make a, an all-star team very likely at any point in his career, but on a vet minimum contract, that's a 
pretty good basketball player. Lonnie Walker, who which was a signing like, what the hell are the Lakers doing? We were talking about over the summer. He's that consistent 17 to 19 point guy that, that Mike was just saying, even beyond that 15 to 17. Like when Lonnie Walker scores 20 points, are any of us surprised? Not at all. And that's a testament to how consistent he's been and what a good find he's been. But then also like, hey, Wenyan Gabriel helped us win a couple of games. Like, is he going to help us win playoff games? Probably not. But I remember back in the day when Josh Powell would help us win these types of games just through the slog of an 82. And just so when you have a level of competence, like last year's team, a bunch of those dudes aren't in the NBA anymore. I would venture a guess that the vast majority of the players on this year's team are going to be in the NBA next year. Might Maybe not for the Lakers, but they will be in the NBA. And so that is what helps you stack wins at this point of the season. And But Lonnie is a guy where he's not a vet minimum guy and he's not even a mini MLE talent. And so Lonnie putting it together, his his ceiling, talking about ceilings, is just higher than any of the other role players. And so him fitting in and I think fitting in exactly with what LeBron and AD need is something that is just a a real boon to the chances of what this team can do. Austin Reeves is on a vet minimum contract and it's like, holy crap, this dude is good, you know? And so all of a sudden you're like, hey, we have an emerging middle class of player on this team that is super helpful. And it's easy to see with the salaries that we have and and the guys that we have in the different roles where it's like, hey, you got a lot of salary you can send out. You can get back a lot of player. And now we've got these role guys that are maybe eighth or ninth men on a championship type of contender. But all of a sudden it's like, hey, okay, I see the outline of this. And this is what we talked about working toward over the course of the offseason. But a tough game tonight awaits. Uh, One of the things I didn't like about having a Spurs week like this or having a weekend like this is I think you can get used to playing bad basketball. And I think there's a good chance third game in four nights, first game home from a three game road trip. Both of these are things that tend to depress the uh, level of engagement from the team and just like level of sharpness combined with playing a bad basketball team a little too often. So going to be very curious how tonight's game goes, Mike. One quick thought on the Pacers, too, because I know that everybody's enjoyed, you know, the story of the Pacers, but they've also had a pretty easy schedule uh, and have kind of taken advantage of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, relative to what the rest of the league is and a lot of that, like their wins uh, came against uh, Brooklyn when, when they were all banged up Um, Charlotte, Houston, Orlando twice, and then Brooklyn again um, when they had some guys out and then they're, you know, most out of their last three, they lost to the Clippers and the Wolves. So like they're, you know, they're playing hard. It's a good story. But I also don't Mm -hmm. think that we, we need to think about them like whatever they are in the East right now, fifth, um, it, last time I checked, it's been flopping between fourth and fifth. So like they are, they are better than some, yeah, they're fourth actually right now. Cause Atlanta lost. They're better than everybody expected and they can certainly beat you, but they all, they also aren't some powerhouse, um, coming in where, you know, where the Lakers should feel, shouldn't feel like they, they should win if they play well. Yep. And that's what we got to do. It's about us tonight. If we play well, we should get the, the victory. But a few factors uh, working in the other direction. Very curious to see how we are able to step it up and put it together with LeBron and AD. Felt great to be back. Uh, looking forward to tomorrow, talking about the game tomorrow. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. Magic fires, it's good, the Lakers win the game, the Lakers win the game. Three seconds left, Van Exel to win it, it's on the way, there
Seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.